I, as I get older, I'm increasingly aware of how grumpy and non-functional I am if I'm hungry. Nailed it. Uh, hey, it's Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. I'm Nat. Woo! Yeah. Got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, welcome back for another Hang in the Laboratory. And special thanks, as always, to our backers. Wherever you may come from, if you'd like to throw us as little as a buck a month to keep this thing going, uh, you can go to support.zengineeringpodcast.com or follow the link in the description. We got a third voice this week, which yeah. means a guest episode. Introduce yourself, Nat, hey, first. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Nat Wyeth. I'm talking to you from Washington, D.C. Um, I'm a professional fundraiser, a nonprofit, and I work for the Seed Foundation uh, here in Washington. And after was at the National Cathedral for about nine years before that. So all my career post-college has been asking people for money. <laughs> <laughs> Like I just did. Totally. You're probably, yeah, you're probably listening to that going, oh man. You only asked for a um, buck though. I hope he's asking for more than that. <laughs> as little as a buck. Yeah. Well, massively more than that, which we'll get to in a second. But at first, I feel like the 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 first thing to hit is interesting context that kind of gets us into the whole, like uh, Brian and I have talked about our own educational experience sometimes in the context of where we wish it was different. But then also frequently in the context of, you know, how the school and the organization that is why we know you, Nat, which is the high school that we all or high school and middle school that we all went to, which, you know, it's sort of like I increasingly as we go, as we bump into people at weddings and then go, oh, shit, you should do the podcast. It makes me realize the extent to which we had this really unique experience of being surrounded by these people that have all gone on to do really cool stuff. And then when I talk to other people about their educational experiences, it's like, oh, no, most of the people I went to high school, like, went back and they work at the video store. Video <laughs> store? That's not a thing anymore. Oh, man. A video store. Jesus, man. <laughs> We're trying to be hip on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So do you want to, uh, talk a little bit about kind of what you're doing with, uh, seed yeah, uh, foundation and what the, what's the, what the mission? Yeah. The, the mission is to get first generation college students, high school students into college, into and through college. That is based on what you guys probably know that your earning power, uh, is exponentially higher with a college degree. Um, which is why I find it so interesting, right, that we hear a lot of conversation now that we haven't heard about, like, what's the real value of a four-year liberal arts degree? I mean, that's a conversation that's happening in real time because of how expensive it is. And I kind of like that it is. But that said, it still doesn't take away the fact that an earning, your earning power is, I don't know, three or four times at least more with a college degree. So the idea is uh, we take some kids um, that are in some really underserved areas and we coach them up to find a college that they can get into and a college that they can graduate from. Um, and it's in it's six years. That's, what's interesting. It's a six year. That's how you measure it. And you we're used to the four year thing, but, um, it just, it's amazing how many first generation students drop out after what year one. I mean, it's, it's staggering. I mean, we are six years of college, six years of college. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, it took me five years to graduate. Yeah. So see, okay. I, you know, that's <laughs> it happens. Yeah, it's um, funny how different the the uh, normal length of time and regular behaviors and stuff when you didn't have the 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 privilege and the direction that we were given with education. Right. Everything was so clear. It was like, here are the here is almost the dates that you will do everything in your life up until about like right. 25. <laughs> right. And and that an unimaginable amount of support and direction. Right. Like your life was just laid out for you. Uh, and then all the all the support was put there. So I, I just my my connection and ability to understand what it's like for even even just for the average person who who attends an, an, an OK school and and grows up and, and maybe goes to college it's so foreign to me, right? It'll be real interesting to hear, hear what you're experiencing with students through seed. We talked about this a bit on, on our episode about bikes. Cause we were talking about, uh, LeBron James setting up his, uh, promise school and just the idea, I think for a lot of people and what I would guess are most of the people in our demographic about, you know, here's what the school experience is like. And uh, even if your experience was, public schools there's still sort of this idea of you know like you you catch a bus and you go and you do the stuff and then you do <laughs> sports and then like you get a bus home and like you do your homework and i think increasingly we're starting to hear a public conversation about like that's not that's not all that matters here because if you go home and you're hungry you just can't i as i get older i'm increasingly aware of how grumpy and non-functional i am if i'm hungry so when lebron james says he's going to set up a school where kids can take food home with them like it's starting a very real conversation about aspects of the difficulty of of, of you know um lower level education right. you know not even getting you know like a, by that i mean below college you know right. uh education if you have this, you know, problem of you go home and it's and it's a struggle to just be at home, even if you want to do all the stuff they told you to do when you were at school, go do this homework and you get home. And it's like, I don't, but I didn't, I can't eat dinner. My head hurts. <laughs> Forget it. I'm out of here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so the kids arrive on Sunday night at five o'clock. Uh, they get checked in. Um, so just to give you a sense of the total enrollment, um, seed is set up six through 12 and it's a total of 310 students. So they're pretty small classes. Um, so they get there Sunday night and then they're there, they have a program or activity and then lights out at nine. I mean, they're really, it starts early and they, that's, it's a tough adjustment for, um, for some of these kids, but, um, who again, Adam Deerpo, I mean, they get home, there is, there's no one telling them you need to go to bed now or, you know, so it's, it, it's such an intense experience for the first time for these kids. Um, and it's a boarding school. It's so a they're, boarding school. So they're, so they're living there. They're living there, but they do go home for the weekend. So that's, that is one difference between a traditional boarding school. But, um, yeah, so that's it. I mean, they get there and then they're, they're there. They, in a, you know, they're in class t- an hour later per day than their public school cl- uh, uh, colleagues and or other, the other kids. And so it's, it's, it's a much more intense experience. Um, and it's through the lottery too, which is interesting. So you, you can apply to go to seed. If you're in the DCPS system, you can apply, but we really do serve just this, this, t- these two wards, wards seven and eight, which are across the Anacostia river. And, 
um, Adam, as you remember, it's, it's when you lived here, it's, it really is a huge, even though mileage, it's not anything at all, but it's, and there's plenty of bridges to connect us, but, um, it is a different part of the city completely. Um, so it's a lot of these kids have never left that area too. When we take them on trips to the mall to see the monuments, I mean, that's the first time they've left Anacostia in a lot of cases, which is crazy. Yeah. So let's, I guess, talk about, you know, how, how do you, to put it bluntly, how do you pay for that? That's, right. It, this is the way more it's like in a world where uh, public education is already underfunded, you're obviously not paying for this out of a pool of the same money that yeah. everyone else is working with. Right? right. So that gets to kind of, I think, the meat of the conversation that we want to have rather than going down the, further down the rabbit hole of education, which yeah. is you know, like what what uh, if the answer to these education problems is increasingly what the government seems to want it to be, which is to say, we're not going to use our money for it. You guys figure it out. Right. Then, then we have to fundraise. Yes. <laughs> we have to go find money <laughs> to make these things happen. Right. That's right. So, um, that's where you come in. That's so where I, like, that's what, where I come. look like. Uh, yeah. And boy, I, I couldn't be more excited to take you to lunch and talk about this mission. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> honestly, that's what some of my emails sound just like. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's interesting. So it's a very expensive model. And that is uh, what's interesting. Per student, um, we're a lot more expensive, of course, because of the boarding aspect um, and the food, et cetera. So um we do get public money. So I want to be clear about that. So C does get public money. Um, I don't have to fundraise Whoops, for the whole um, operations. I mean, they, we do get public money, um, but that doesn't cover everything. Um, so we have a philanthropic wing of C that works to alleviate uh, what needs to be done for the budgets of each school that isn't covered with the public money. Um, and again, as you heard me talk about the college matching system that we have with these kids. So there's this tutoring. We call it invasive tutoring. So we we don't really give them a chance to not do this. They, this is mandatory, and we are going to come. We are going to come visit you. We are going to be in your life, whether you want us to be or not. Um, it's kind of interesting. So a lot of the fundraising I do is to fund that piece of it. So it's finding a match, a college that match matched with these kids, and then it's also uh, tutoring them, staying with them. How's it going? What, what classes are you taking? Where are you struggling? So that's what I fundraise for too. Um, so there's a lot of buckets, buckets, I would say. So what is the, you said, you mentioned that you're getting some public money for the school, uh, and then you're fundraising some more. And when I think about, uh, schools, uh, we went to a private school growing up, they have a big fundraising arm, uh, I went to a private college. They have a huge fundraising arm. Um, <clears throat> can you talk to us a little bit about like the general education scene and like how it's structured and how schools yeah. are funded and uh, kind of in general and then kind of how that compares to uh, what Seed does? Yeah, absolutely. So with your private school, you have your tuition money, which, do, which does plenty. Um, and then you have typically in it, the school that we went to, I think they raised probably two and a half million dollars a year. That's their goal each year. Um, that really offsets uh, certain costs for capital needs that they have. It's kind of, you know, unless you make your gift designated specifically to 
um, something in particular, a, uh, the library, the, the fields, whatever, um, it's, it's going to sort of your, your gift is going where, where it's needed most and they'll use it how they need to use it. Um, so tuition covers most of the cost of the education piece for e private school students in the public school sector. Um, each kid is, I think I'll just use DC cause that's what I know. Um, each student costs about $28,000 a year. Wow. Yep. And with seed, it's quite a bit more than that. It's, it's closer to 40. Um, so we, there's a lot, there's a lot of intricacies in this because we also have special education students. Mm -hmm. We get a lot more money for those kids. Mm -hmm. Um, but so with private schools, you got the tuition, right? And then with public schools, it's public money. Um, and yeah, the costs are always going up and that's what, you know, sparks these huge debates. Um, and then with college, it's the same thing. You, you've got your tuition, but um, college, it's a way more intense because your, your philanthropic wing is really important because you need to have an endowment. Um, your endowment should be a certain percentage of what your the size of your school. Um, and as you guys know, with Harvard and Yale, and there's these, <laughs> you know, unbelievable uh, describe. I mean, billions of dollars that that just sit there, growing into more more baby billions of dollars. You know, they just sit there and grow and grow and grow. So, but you do need, as a private college, for instance, you do need an endowment um, because if something happens, you have major leadership changes, your enrollment falls, so you're not having, you don't have the same tuition, you don't have, you can't support the same programming uh, curriculum you got to draw from your endowment for any major needs. And mm. as we know, it's such a com competition, right? Like mm. all these small liberal arts colleges are in arms races for the next new library athletic facility. And the scary, right. And the scary thing is that's coming to private schools. Now the private high schools in, you know, in Baltimore and DC, they are doing the same thing. They're fundraising their faces off so that they can show you they have a sparklier gym. I mean, is that serving an education purpose in a major way? I, I don't know that it is, right? It's weird. Well, it's an interesting part of the challenge that I don't know if people necessarily consider when they think about uh, a school, but like you have this, like running a s school is a, in, in, uh, in corporate context, they talk about the idea of like a hundred year company, right? Like the idea is to have a company that outlives you and you have to make yeah. decisions that, you know, that, that will push toward the sustainability of your company. And like literally every school has to be that kind of project. I mean, it has to at least be a four to six year project right. because the first class of people you promised were still going to be here for That's you to graduate. Right. Exactly right? And right. you're constantly rolling in a new person. We have this rollover of constantly making a new set of promises that we're not going to go away in the next four to six years which is a weird thing I don't think people think about. Like you spin up a startup and you go, oh, I'm going to start this company and we're going to make widgets. And if nobody buys the widgets, we file for bankruptcy. And then, uh, sorry guys, <laughs> like it's not, you know, with a school, you got however many thousand kids that you, if you're talking about a college, right. it's like you have 30,000, you have a, you, a single class is going to be 10,000 people who are going to go, you're, you're what? You're shutting down. Yeah but I worked so hard to get here. And what, what happens to the three years that I did put in and what a like, ah, yeah, it's a very interesting. So you have to have this backup fund yeah. that you're constantly like, in case everything goes to shit, <laughs> we need to have this backup fund so we can at least fulfill our promises to these people. Yeah. And so there isn't literally a riot 
That's right. <laughs> yeah, you hear that conversation being had a lot around things like Social Security and Medicare, the kind of the generational component and, and younger people putting money in the system supports the older people that are, are, are taking advantage of it. And I guess I've never thought about it with education. It's, it's not exactly the same, but it's, it's similar that you have that, that conveyor belt of people going through and, and money coming in at different points and for different reasons and costs shifting, right? I mean, is it, is it, uh, I mean, it sounds from your previous comments that it, this is true, but it seems like over the last like 20 years, kind of from the time period that we were transitioning into high school um, and then into college and to now, it seems like stuff has really blown up in terms of costs and expansion and uh, premium pricing for good schools and competition. Has that really been as aggressive as it, it seems like it has been? Even more aggressive. That's what I'm saying. It's it's it, it's it really. I and I I think it's healthy that we're having this debate about the true value uh, of a four year degree because we were talking about earlier. We know people with law degrees and advanced degrees that we you know that followed every step of the way. I I got good enough grades to get into college. Okay, now I got to college. I kept those grades. I did some internships. And then I got into this grad program and you guys said, if I got this <laughs> and I got that, I'd have unlimited potential and opportunities for right. jobs. And that's just not the darn case. Yeah. Um, in a lot of cases where they're, um, yeah, you, you need, there's, there's not a, a lot of financial backing, so they need uh, results now. So work experience ends up being more valuable than that degree. I mean, that's, what's insane. But I, but at the end of the day, it's um, cause we, we only, we can go into the social aspect of all this too. And, and like some of the best friends of my life that will, that are changed my life, I met through college and that value to me is a whole part of the philanthropy piece of it. Um, and that's, so I I would much rather lean into that, and that's why when you get mailers from your college and your high school, you see those images because you don't want to hear about the arms race that's happening. Our our science center, so you know it's more like our profile. I'll use my college example, um, Rhodes College, big political science wing. That's what I did. Big humanities piece, very small on the science, very very small on um, physics and what they found was they had small, smaller classes and they were able to get kids into med school because they had a great pre-MCAT class that they did. And, and they, they got a profile from that. And once they did that profile, um, you know, they decided, oh, wait, shit, we need to build a much bigger science wing because we want to prove to the community that we're sending more kids to pre-med with success getting into med school. So like, you know, these things happen and then it becomes an arms race. And that, you know, that question of, of vying for dollars for these big capital projects, that that's the case, right? That you're, you're, you have more access now to, uh, you're, you're providing more access for your students to pursue these dreams successfully, particularly in that field that you're focused on. But, um, at the same time, I'm also interested in the social connections, the the impact, the the community service. How how are you growing as a human being as opposed to how you're getting your next job, right? Well, and that's frequently something I bring up in the sports context because a lot of times people will say it's a new state, like you're raising money for a new stadium. This is not an academic thing, and you're supposed to be an academic institution. But like, sports is exciting, and that's why that's what sells. But also, sports is. Uh, college, you know, like when you go to school, like 
I did, or like Brian did as well. At Vanderbilt has a bunch of prominent sports yep. teams. Like those become the <laughs> central. <laughs> You're shaking That's your head, <laughs> but you guys are regularly in the baseball World Series. So That's true. Our women's bowling team did just capture their second national title. I think <laughs> nice. it's high school's third national title in history. Um, and one of the other ones was women's bowling also. But so one of the ways to do that is, you know, you, you amp up sports stuff. And it's because sports is the center of social behavior, right? So the parties on a Saturday at a school with a prominent football program all center around uh, football. And so when people amp, you know, talk about, well, we need a new stadium. My, 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 when I want to push back on people saying it's just sports, right. and that's stupid. I tend to push back and go, no, what it really is, is they're trying to remind me of the fun that I had with friends on a Saturday because it was game day. Right. Um, but either way, I think the relevant point is the projects you're talking about here are not funded by, Five dollars at a time. No, they are not. By a class of yep. ten thousand people. <laughs> that's right. Because that's because that's fifty thousand dollars a year. If you want to build a stadium, you need ten million dollars, yep. right? Yep. So, so like, I think the cool thing that y- you're dealing with that's different from every time Brian and I have tried to talk about the notion of of giving or sustained giving here is like you're talking about big league fundraising. Big league fundraising. So yeah. You were telling us before we started yeah. recording about. Uh, uh, trying to get money from the Gates Foundation recently. Do you want to yeah. talk about that experience a little bit? Um, <laughs> you know, you get humbled uh, in this work, uh, like like a lot of things. But um, so we uh, we have it. We had a, so Seed had a relationship with Gates. So it was it was we weren't coming in cold. Um, in the DC area, the the gentleman who who runs that's Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yes, like just they are. Clear. Yeah, I would say they're one of the, you know they're, they're they for the sure one of the organism? biggest philanthropic. Putting that Microsoft money to work, right? And they've and they've and they changed their priorities. I mean, I, I give them credit for not being static. You know, they really are dynamic in that they change their priorities and they so because they want to, they don't want to just have three partners, four partners that they give millions and millions to. They want to expand their reach, so they change their priorities. And we thought um, education's a big one right now, and we thought, okay. This is time for us to re-engage. So we got the meeting. Um, and again, we got that meeting because we had a pre-existing relationship with them. So if I hadn't had that, I'd have been chasing this guy down. I'd have been sending him his assistant. I'd have figured out who assist- his assistant is. I would have you know, emailed and called her and left her messages. Find- stalked him on LinkedIn. Who, who is somebody <laughs> I know? Uh, who, you know? Hustle. Hustle harder. Exactly. That's in- the sales, but luckily, the we sales didn't have to do that. The sales hustle. Exactly. So we, um, we got in the meeting. You know, first of all, as you imagine, like just glass and angles. That's if it's like, if I had to describe like the office we were in, it's like glass and angles, <laughs> sharp angles and glass, like incredible. You can see everything. Everybody can see you. Um, but uh, anyway, so it's just, you know, there's there's an air of excellence, right? It's just an <laughs> air of like super excellence there. And um, it was a bit intimidating, but we did know the guy and, and we had a good conversation and we showed him what our results were for five years. We said, we've the national rate, okay, for first generation college kids to actually get past their first year, this is going to blow your minds. Eleven percent. That's wow. it. Only eleven percent of these kids actually go beyond a year. Did you say that's the uh, national average? Yes, the national, the national wow. average for first time college kids. Yeah. Oh, that's so uh, it's so unfortunate. That's so sad. Yes, that's not graduation. That's just no, that's making it through that first first year. Yeah. 
yeah. which for what it's worth is really hard. Really hard. Like you're away from home and exactly. you gain 15 pounds and you, you know. I mean, that's, that's hard when all you have to do is be there, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't have right. to do much right. else to, to maintain my position at a university. So if you're also having to deal with all of these other issues, um, geez. Yeah. So, but we went in and, and, um, so we showed him what our results were. We were, we're very proud of it. We're three or four times the national average. Um, but the hard thing is if you look at seed, the mission and how we're set up, it really begs the question, okay, you're an expensive model. Uh, and you have these kids for X amount of hours more than any other institution does. Why aren't you getting more results? Um, and so, and our schools, to be very clear and transparent right now, are not doing that well in their testing. Um, and we had to show them that information because that's all public, obviously. And uh, so it quickly, we could see the look on his face. It quickly went from, uh, hey, maybe, 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 to, okay, no, but, I'm gonna, <laughs> but, but I like what you're doing and I want to tell you how you should build this out for the next time you come to games. Cool. So he literally like within 10 or 15 minutes, he was like, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your prep, you know, all the preparation you did. Um, but I'm going to turn to this glass board with my marker and start showing you, uh, how you should be building it out. Your, your ROI right now isn't, isn't attractive to us. And I'm just being blunt with you. So I, I want to show you how you should build this out. So he went into this whole thing and we learned a lot and it was incredible. Um, but the point I want to make about this though, uh, outside of just being humbled by it was like, and how quickly the conversation turned from us being like, we got you to, oh no, 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 oh, no, 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 we're done. We're done here. Um, but it was just interesting because it was because for Gates, they are right. They're full, smart, smart people making huge impact. They hate the idea of any overhead in any dollars they give. They want, you know, 98% at very least of their gift to go to exactly what it's supposed to go to. And that's, and Adam, as you know, we were talking about that thing with, with Africa. It's hard. It's hard to get all that money to the place it's supposed to go completely without having some overhead, some of something else fee, some fee, some transaction fee, whatever it get in the way. But anyway, um, yeah, it was just, it's, so there was no emotional part. Like he got the fact that we're three times the national average. We're doing good things but our emotional appeal of like, but look what we're doing. That's not enough for them. They're mm -hmm. th this, the big dollars, right? The hundreds of millions mm -hmm. of dollars, the $10 million gifts at a time. Those are all about these strict metrics and this ROI, which I get. I'm not saying they shouldn't be that way. Right. But the biggest success I've had in my career closing six-figure gifts, okay, have been where the donor is more excited to give me the check than I am to receive it. They're they've been stewarded like it's an emotional you know, thing like they they have a connection to what we're doing right. it's personal to them and that is such a rewarding experience and i truly believe this that this notion of gratitude is more than just a nicety it is it, it is a physiological experience it's important it's it's a healthy thing you know yeah. that's why that's why i get fired up about the work in philanthropy because i think gratitude has a health benefit. I think human beings are better for it, you know? Hmm. I like that. I like that angle a lot. So I'm going to ask you, a, I think, a challenging question then. Uh, so do you, from, from your experience working with all of this, do you think that more money 
should be given to organizations that we are emotionally connected to that we like physiologically respond to. That's it. You're you're asking the question, right? Or should more money be given in the way the Gates Foundation is doing it, which is a very business like board member (laughs) driven concept of how's our money doing? Um, Well, the thing I I was going to say that it relates, it's, it's worth saying before, the answer to that, I think. Also, I'm, I'm stalling some, so you can think about it. <laughs> Thank you. Question. Uh, you know, you said ROI a couple of times. So for anyone that doesn't know, that's return on investment. Like the thing you have to realize with the Gates Foundation is that's it's it sounds sterile to call it that. And it's not fair to think of it that way, because just like the college, they have to also keep money coming in from all of these billionaires who are even less interested in giving money than they are in giving like it as, as you check uphill, eventually you're going to Exxon and you're just saying, this is a straight up PR play for you. If you (laughs) give us money, it looks good. We know you don't give a fuck. Right. But they, and so they have to, and it it really is this fully business relationship. And so if they don't then go to projects where they can say, we're using the money effectively, then it it just, it's this thing that kind of slides downhill And the gratitude line ends up right at this line where it's like, okay, so so five dollars from a hundred thousand people is you know is what it is, but you could get the same amount of money if you could get a hundred thousand dollars from five people, and at that level you can still tread on the gratitude. You can still find people that are like, oh well, yeah, here's a hundred thousand dollars. It made me feel really good. I hope you do the best you can with it, but like. So you hit that line eventually where it's like Gates has a business to run. They got to keep getting money from the people at the top who have the money and that are the billionaires and don't necessarily care, actually care about what they're working on, (laughs) you know, and it's down to a thing. So it's like, I just, I feel like I want to head off the idea that your experience with Gates is some sort of reason to look at them and go, oh, well, man, I shouldn't give them money. Like, I think people do that you know, with, with Greenpeace and stuff occasionally, or, or, you know, like these, these prominent charities where they sort of grumble about, well, here's the state of things that I don't like it. Yeah. They're just a faceless multinational, blah, blah, blah. Right. It's like, yeah, but that's the game. If you're going yep. to people and you're saying, well, give us $10 million a year out of your giant pool of oil money. Right. They accountants are going to have a thing to say about yep. that. And it's just, how it is you are you've you've nailed it right you've absolutely nailed it there there is this line and it's the big multi-million dollars that's just that's just the world they're they're working in and um and there can be there is room for the gratitude emotional piece in that and that's where what my job in my industry the stewardship piece uh so stewardship when i say stewardship i mean the thank you and the ways that we thank you and the way that we keep you connected to the work um, if I'm the Gates officer, right? Gates is my; they're in my portfolio. Um, yeah, you, it's all about it's all about getting the ROI in shape. It, it's it's making it, showing the impact, demonstrating it over the course of years, and proving it. That's the most important thing, no question. But um, it is human beings, the accountants as they are, um, and so you know, <laughs> so you, <laughs> the more that I sh- show that we're trying, that we um, are grateful and, you know, and, and here's some opportunities for you to come to this gala we're having or this thing, you know, the more thoughtful you are about that, the more successful you are. Um, that's true of a $10,000 gift. That's true of a hundred million dollar gift, but there is a line though. You're absolutely right about that. And, and, 
and it's interesting you talk about that the idea of the obama fundraising where so many people gave little gifts look it matters your gift matters it does matter and i don't want people to think my $20 gift to Greenpeace or my $20 gift to the Sierra Club doesn't matter. It absolutely does matter. But from a going back to you know the sterile part of it, for, for my time that I'm being paid for, it's way more productive for me to chase that individual with $100,000 than it is to break that up over small donors because that's, that's fewer visits and I'm more focused on that. Yeah. So that's, that's how I prioritize my portfolio. Um, when I say portfolio, I mean, you know, I have a list of names. Those are the names in my care. I, it's my responsibility to make sure they give. Um, but yeah, that's how I do it. But you're right, Adam. There is, there is this, there is a line that, and it gets to be just so big and you, you understand that to a degree. And, um, it is a little different. So I, I guess the answer to the first question, because now <laughs> I'm way off base, um, is I, I don't know that there's a one or the other for me personally. I think I give to my college and I give to my church uh, because there is an emotional connection to it. And that means something to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that my church is wasting money. I've watched it happen. So <laughs> like I know it is, but it's I get a better feeling out of that than I do if I had given money to uh, Gates or to some other thing where I know that they are strict and they are, you know, Pew Charitable Trust is a great example of this, by the way. Pew Charitable Trust came out of Sun Oil Company. All the money they raise, they can tell you because there's so much money in their endowment behind them. They can tell you that 100% of your gift is going to go to make sure whale sharks are taken care of. Like you're, you can track every dollar that you spend going all the way to Polynesia, wherever whale sharks live. I can't remember. Maybe they're, <laughs> or they, maybe they're Mexican coast. I, I don't remember. But you know, they they do that kind of work, and like they can, and that is that is why you want to build a big endowment is so that you can offset some of that, you know, but I don't interesting. know. Yeah, you touch on an interesting component here too, which is, uh, I think, an important part of giving that is hard to quantify. And that's what does the giver get, right? Because, and not to like always make it about yourself, right? <laughs> but um, I think that's, there's there's a concept of giving in in almost every major culture right like in in major religions there's the concept of of uh, of giving a percentage of what you make back to your church tithing, or back yeah. to the community tithing uh and so that it's all it, it has historically has been something that has grown with culture because there's i don't think it's just to like recycle money from wealthy to the poor there's something else that comes from that right it builds community it builds connection it it puts people who otherwise may not have been in touch in touch with each other um but that's that's a hard one that roi is hard to calculate uh and i think it's hard to explain to people when they're not on one end of the spectrum right if you if you're very poor and looking for donations you really feel the impact of money coming into your system if you're really wealthy uh and it's easy for you to give uh there's not as much thought that you need to go through. But if you're just an average person and you're trying to figure out what should I do? Where should I give money? How can I have impact? My the $100 I can budget uh, to give, um, what do I do with it? Uh, that's that's the space that's that I, I think is interesting. I'm going through that myself at the moment, trying to figure out right, right. how should I budget into my family so that we are regularly giving and how much should I give and what impact will that have on me or the organizations that we're contributing to and I'm curious how, if you've ever had that conversation yeah. with donors, like how do you decide what is right for you? What is right for, for the organizations you care about? Yeah. That, I feel like this is the moral split, the moral too early. space. So I want to throw in one thing first. Okay. Explain uh, the charity navigator. Yeah. 
Because I think there's a really practical thing oh, totally. to understand here, which is like there's actually mechanical pieces you can use now to find out how well a charity is doing at their at what you were just talking about, like making sure that the money gets to the place that their mission is telling you that it's going to end up. And I think what's interesting is people care about that enough that we've spun up these secondary tools where you can essentially go do homework on, well, is the money actually? And I, rem I remember their headlines, you know, a few years yeah. ago, along with this stuff being you know, spun up where it was like only 10 cents of every dollar actually goes to saving the whales. Right. And Greenpeace was like, oh, now we have to explain <laughs> how operational expenses work. But also they had to explain away some like weird slush funds. And, you know, it's like, you know, it sort of created a thing that for a minute was probably worse for the world, but then I think has made it better in the long run that you can track this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right. And, and there's another example too. You might remember it was in the press a bunch and it was wounded warriors like that is such that has such great rec name recognition it's it, across the country i mean particularly coming out of afghanistan you know the first couple of years um wounded warriors carries a lot of weight with people because it's so emotional it's our soldiers it's their care coming home but charity navigator they um gave them a really poor score and it was really bad it was it wasn't 10 cents on the dollar but it was uh, something maybe 20 cents. I, it was not good though. They got terrible press out of that. I mean, they had to fire a bunch of the executives that were working and, and they, it forced them to be more transparent. So I think, yeah, that to your point, that is what's good about that. The forced transparency is, is important. Um, because you're actually, you're going to be more successful with major gift fundraising if you're transparent. Um, when you know that your board chair is getting fired or the uh, or leaving or your executive is your CEO is getting fired and that's a relationship that you know that this donor you've had holds dear to you're way better off being like look we're sliding things are going bad you need to know this um, I'm sorry but you need to know this now that we this person's out on their way out and we're, you're gonna have to restart your relationship with the leadership here that's an example of being transparent to a donor where it's bad news but the more you're like well you know they had to leave but it's still good you know the more you spin it uh the more trouble you're likely to get but with particularly with those one-offs where they're grading you know nonprofits per se um it, there's, it's a valuable tool now i've never really looked into the full metrics of it all i just yeah i know they they balance um they look at you know overall budget and output and i i don't know what the specific metrics are i wish i did in fact after i'm done i was gonna say like i, I wonder I need how to look much into that's that. a disservice potentially because there are some problems that are just going to be high overhead to try to tackle right. like education is a great yes. example you know great like example. to be able to triple graduation rates is great but you know you're going to hit upper limits at some point because of x factors that are just not a thing you can control like you can you can try to make the school experience as supportive and as effective as possible but like even in our cohort of of privileged <laughs> white kids like we have friends that were just like nah college isn't for me and dipped out and they've done their own stuff and whatever. But like it just, you know, they end up part of the statistic of didn't graduate, but they're not the part that we're talking about when we say was unable to graduate because of their circumstances. Yeah. So there's, you know, or just, you know, if you think about something like Wounded Warrior, you can see where the problem they're trying to help with is, you know, it's tied up in mental health. It's tied up in medical care. Like I can see where the overhead would be pretty yeah. high, 
The problem is if the executives are like taking private right. jets places exactly. and you need to be able to defend that. Right. Also, you might look at a 30% and go, that seems pretty low. Eh, but actually that's pretty good for the problem we're trying to tackle. Right. So. And you got to, you got to, you got to raise money to get money. And that's part of the the budgets of nonprofits that people don't understand. But Brian, I want to get back to what you're asking about too, is that how do you kind of, what, what's your, what are some good ways to kind of prioritize when you're in our position where we're talking about, um, I won't speak for you guys, but we're talking about probably a couple hundred bucks, uh, to a place at the most at this mm -hmm. point. I'm not, I haven't personally made my first thousand dollar gift yet. Um, cause I'm, you know, I'm here trying to maybe hopefully start a family in DC and it like, just seems <laughs> out of reach. But what I do, Brian is like, I, my wife and I, we start, uh, so most of our places we support work on these fiscal years. That's something that people should investigate with the, um, things are close to look at what their fiscal year is because it, it's, it's usually for nonprofits is pretty consistently June 30th. So July 1st is the first day of the, of the new fiscal year. So right now we're in FY 19. Um, and so I, but cause that, I, I, I say that cause it's important to know when you give, I mean, most people just give at the end of the calendar year for tax purposes and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that makes sense, but, um, you can really help the momentum of your of the cause you're interested in your your school your nonprofit by giving at certain times, particularly at the end of the fiscal year. That really helps them boost. Um, it really provides momentum for the staff. So um, that's something I look at. And then, yeah, what are what are important? What are the things that I want to get involved in here? Um, aside from my emotional co connections, which again are my church and my schools. Um, but I think it's just, it's really simple. You, you, you chart, you, you have an agree, if you're married, you do it together and have an agreed amount. And so we mm -hmm. give money to my wife's school, to my school, although we don't give anything to her college. She went to UCLA and it's so interesting because she was one of so many there. She had a good experience, but I mean, she has no emotional connection to the school <laughs> at all, except for living in Los Angeles, which she loved, but like that is it. And so UCLA does not get our dollars and that's a decision <laughs> we make together. It's kind of crazy, but yeah, that's what I would say, Brian. It's just, you find your priorities, work on it together with your spouse, a couple hundred bucks to each if you can. And I like to do monthly donations. So all of my giving is done through monthly donations because it, it's a tired talking point, but man, when you look at your own balances, it works. The price of a bar tab, right? The price of a bar tab Probably. A month is is a great way to give like that 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 adds up over time. <laughs> and is it is it really helpful for nonprofits? I assume like most businesses to have consistent cash flow. Yes, because then you can plan and budget on it. Exactly mm -hmm. right. Yep. Okay. And then what about? So this is I'm asking like personal questions, but I think it makes for makes for good good podcasting questions. What about in trying to make decisions, right? Because there are a lot of things that I love and care about. There's obviously schools that have provided tremendous value to me, right? Like I owe them all of my money. Um, but uh, there are other organizations, right, that you care about. And then you hear about things in the news and you're like, oh, I, I want to donate to this, yeah. this event. Um, from your experience, again, for for kind of uh, young, new people trying to get in and, and do some good with, with some money, uh, should you just give to what you care about? at the moment and not overthink yeah, I, I everything. Think so I, I, I do, I do encourage people to make a personal connection with a staff member or a volunteer of some mm -hmm. kind before you make that gift. Okay. Um, I really think that's important to have a connection. Somebody you can call and be like, Hey, I saw the website said this. Um, but wait, is that right? You know, I, I not, and again, not that we have the time to be that involved in everything. I, <laughs> right. I know we're not all looking at, you know, our school's websites every day. Of course not. Or the, 
or whatever it is that the issue that we're talking about immigration whatever it is oh my god by the way let's i don't even want to get into politics <laughs> so panicked i'm so panicked get out and vote everybody um but yeah it's it, i i think the most important thing is to have a person a person you can call a person you can email um that you can that can talk about what's going on um so that it's like okay i'm really i love what greenpeace is doing rather than just going to greenpeace.com go to the click the donate button you can do that i mean but I think it's there is a local Greenpeace chapter. There are always these local arms. So making a personal connection will really help inform because um, because you can only read so much about a mission and priority on a website. You know, mm-hmm. like find out what they're doing right now. They they might not be able to put all that stuff on their website. So like that's what I encourage people to do. Have a person. Have a guy. Well, I think what's interesting about that is it gets to the place that we that we are always trying to chase with the podcast, which is this the idea of the perspective shift you know inside of the topic that we're like and it's and it's an interesting thing to me that the idea of giving and sustained giving and then i think this kicks back on what you were saying about the art of of fundraising like it treads in this space where we're almost saying this thing that seems really counter to the usual narrative about fundraising, which is like, give to the Sierra club. Cause it's good for forests. Right. Like, no, give to the Sierra club. Cause it's good for you. Yeah. Like, actually there's a reason to do this. It's fully just like the same reason you meditate. Cause it's, cause it's good for <laughs> you and by proxy, the people around you, but it's really is just about this. And for me, it gets to this funny philosophical concept of like, there are a lot of, philosophers it would argue that you only ever we're only capable of being motivated by how things make us feel even if we're super altruistic we do it because it makes us feel yeah. good and so on so sometimes i'm like okay well let's just embrace that because if it's better for the world like i'm okay with the narrative being give money to good causes because it makes you feel good yeah yeah that's that's an even better outcome right it's like you're helping an organization and you're helping yourself yeah, that's great. That's compounding. So to the art of fundraising piece of it, like what, you know, this this is a, it feels almost oddly personal, you know, but like what your, your yeah. work, your life's work is treading right at that line of trying to induce people to feel that way. That's it's right. like, it's this sort of evangelist thing in this strange capacity of, it's the thing I deal with in a business context where like you go to a networking event and you know that literally everyone there wants something from everyone else, but no one talks about it. And it's real weird. And I'm real happy that it's not really my job at the company to be the one that has to go. Okay. So we're all actually here for a reason. (laughs) Give me your money. Like, you know, so, so I I feel like, you know, uh, talk about that part a little bit. I mean, what is your, like, what does your day look like? What are your yeah, interactions with people great. look like? As you try to sort of tenderly be like, hey, well, this is also really good for you. Yep. You know, like you're going to feel, great, feel if, great if you help me out you're here. Feel great. <laughs> well, here's here's a so let me this is a phrase that one on one fundraisers like we call we call ourselves frontline fundraisers. So we're we're people that are going, setting up meetings and asking, asking, not just setting up somebody to ask, but to ask, ask ourselves. And, and the, the biggest gifts I ask for, I do with the CEO or the executive too. But, um, you know, I, I, I arm myself with the most information I can about what someone's given to, what their giving history is. Uh, there are lots of good tools uh, to figure out um, where kind of the bend to someone's philanthropic uh, 
you know, preference. Um, so I start with that knowledge, but, um, so there's the hustle. We already talked about that, right? Just the hustle of, Hey, Hey, have lunch with me. Hey, 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 have lunch with me. I know, I know I'm not important to you right now, but have lunch. With me. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's a grind. You just have to grind sometimes and you got to use connections that you can. Um, but when I get into the meeting, like, what do I, you know, the art of it is, um, listening. It's people give money to people. That's, that's the phrase I was going to say. Like, that's what we say to each other in, in professional networking events. Like, there are ca- obviously causes and the, the missions motivate people, but there is this interaction. After you have lunch with me and we have a good time, we'll talk about the mission and the work probably 60% of the time. The other 40% is how's your, how's your kids? What's going on in the world? Um, so you just develop this natural rapport with somebody um, and there there's just this connection that they have to you. And then if you're able to then – parlay that into an experience with the organization. So a graduation for me right now, it's, uh, we have this pinning ceremony where the seniors pin the freshmen saying you are now a seed freshman, like you're on your way to going to college. Um, it's a really cool emotional event where you watch them pin each other. And like, that's where I'll bring a donor to after we've had a conversation and they'll come with me to that event and then they'll leave watching that I'm like, that's what you're allowing us to do that. You, this work is because you're supporting us. And like, so it is, it's, I set traps for people that way. Um, and that's kind of, but, but it, it is, it's the art of looking you in the eye and understanding where you want to go, understanding what makes you move, digging, digging, listening. It, but that's the key is listening. I'm not doing a good job listening right now. I'm talking, but like listening, <laughs> listening is the most important thing. If you, if you're able to listen, you're going to be a great fundraiser. My uh, my buddy uh, Chris Powell, who I don't think you've ever met, Nat. Although maybe you have. He's been yeah, around maybe. many times. Um, he's actually also from Maryland. He he uh grew up near us, and um, but his uh, he's he's a fantastic salesperson. He's also an engineer. He's like this amazing personality who can be whatever he, he needs to be in the moment. But his his comment always for for sales and for networking and even just for like friendship, <laughs> right? Making friends and socializing has always just been asked as soon as you can figure out what people are passionate about. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll, you'll make a personal connection. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's so true. and <laughs> so clear when you're, when you're uh, talking with other humans um, with the rare exception, the, uh, they just want to, they just want to share their emotions. You know, they, that's we right. Want to, we want to feel good. And we want to share those good feelings. Um, and if you can do that, you, you can really do some great things together. And, and I think the thing that's kind of a, a good place to start wrapping this up is just like the moral at the end of all of this is kind of like, I feel like when, when, when those things show up asking you for yeah. money or when you consider that you need to take stuff out of your budget, it's like, what, how, how, I don't know personally what to say to the voice in my head that responds cynically yeah. to that <laughs> because it is about human connection and the the human connection part of it is what is going to really create value yeah. in my life or in one's life associated with this giving. But as soon as there's that layer of money, which means now it's almost a sales relationship more than it's a fundraising relationship, like it's really easy to have a cynical response to the whole thing that I think makes a lot of people and myself when I'm yeah. tired go. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and so it's like you know, trying to find that engineering like moral place is like, can I, can I reframe the way that I respond 
to a thing showing up asking me for money or to seeing that charge on my credit card again for the thing that I, you know, want to support. But I'm like, hey, that's gonna, uh, I'm gonna not be able to pay for as many beers, (laughs) you know, or we're in LA. So as many joints. (laughs) Hey, we're in DC. That's our case here too. Oh yeah. (laughs) That is going very well. Jammed up by Congress. Sister cities. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a great point. I love, I love what you just said though. And it, cause it is so easy to be cynical. Think about all the classmates you have. Uh, Let's just say college for, for now. Cause we didn't know all we were lucky with our high school. We know just about everyone, but with your classmates in college, like, I'll bet you if you signed up tomorrow to be your class agent. So when I say class agent means they, the alumni office or the development office will send you, okay, great. Thanks for doing that. Here are 30 people in your class. You could call them and ask one, how they're doing. And then two, they wouldn't mind making gifts to the annual fund. If you did that experience, you'd call, you'd find that unfortunately 28 of those 30 calls, if people even pick up the phone, they, they don't anymore, by the way. That's changed our industry enormously. People don't have landlines anymore. The ability to screen phone Yeah, calls. like exactly. It's changed the whole thing. What do I do now? Um, but but anyway, like if you do that, you'll find so many of your classmates like, I can't do – what do you – I paid – are you kidding me? The tuition we paid? Are you kidding me? <laughs> How dare you ask me for money? Yeah. So that is a really big obstacle to overcome that every institution in the, in the country is still wrestling with. Um Luckily, there are enough people who over time, um, again, in, in part of why that monthly credit card thing is so important, it's a habit of giving. And then when you kind of set it and forget it, like fantasy, like you kind of, yeah. <laughs> it just happens. And then you're like, oh, and then they ask for a renewal gift. You're like, oh, oh yeah, I can do that. It's just that habit of giving, that first habit, get, establishing that habit changes the whole thing. But it is hard to get over that that cynicism. I I. I don't have a great answer on that other than it's a, it's a part of the maturation process as a human being, I think. Oh yeah. I think the answer is you just have to sort of treat it like a a, a practice yes, that yes. will make you yes. better the same way that we talk about all the time, the same way it's like a meditation yes. practice or a yoga practice yes. or working out every day. Like it's, it's just a thing that will make you and the world yep. better. And maybe you don't have to think about it too much harder than that. And yeah, the bar tab, you know, is, is a pretty good way. <laughs> To frame that, especially around LA, because I mean, fifteen bucks a month—that's only one yeah. drink <laughs> if you're in cocktails in Los Angeles. So, <laughs> jeez. But uh, yeah, man. Well, thanks for thanks for hanging out. Great, thank you. Talking about this stuff, I feel like the the rabbit hole is Definitely. deep on this one. We could for sure keep going, but I don't want to. I don't want to keep you around for too much this longer. Has been great. I'm, I'm, you guys are awesome. I, I and I love connecting with. With our class, because like you said, it we we're so crazy fortunate, and I think our school did a really nice job of framing that for us. We all know ten kids that it just didn't work. They are they were shitty kids then; they're shitty people now. But that, but unfortunately, that's a small percentage. Um, I really give back to our school because I love that that happened to me. I love that we had so much privilege, but I I felt like I was. Uh, being taught about it and, and yeah. the perspective was there. Um, it, it takes the willing listener, but I, I, mm-hmm. it's, it's important though. And, and I love that we have this diverse group um, of people doing different stuff, different. So keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I think, I think you just mining from our school, you're going to find some really interesting conversations. 
Yeah, man. Well, thanks for thanks for making the time. And thanks, as always, to our supporters who help us with the load of keeping this thing going. It's also small money, but the definition of a sustainable project <laughs> doesn't cost much to keep this going, but it does help. Uh, if you want to throw in over there, you can go to support.zengineeringpodcast.com or you can follow the link in the description. This is Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And I'm Nat. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you.